Uh, do, do, you, do you have one of those friends, or uh, maybe it's a family member in, in your case, that every time you talk to them, every time you have a conversation with them, um, it always seems like, at least in their life, like the sky is falling. You, you, know, you know the type. Like, you, you ask them, um, like, how are you doing? How, how's your, how'd your day go? Um, uh, how do you like your new job? And no matter what you ask them, the response you get in return is always something negative. <laughs> That's right. You know the, you know the type. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you, you ask them how it's because it's like always it's something terrible. Uh, hey, I heard you got a raise at work this week. Yeah, my taxes went up. Uh, you know, it is always, it doesn't matter what it is, they're always going to say something. And, and like you leave those conversations thinking this individual has never had a positive thing happen to them in the whole of their entire life. Like, this is just, it, and, and don't you just feel worse when you're done with that conversation? You're just, you're just like, oh man, I just, I feel bad. The, the reality, though, in our lives is that um, b- both good things and bad things happen, like, on the regular, right? Uh, let, me, um, let me say it a, a, little, uh, a little a different way. Uh, let, me, let me put it up here. Things happen in our lives regularly that we perceive as either good or, or bad. And, and because it's based on our perception, then, then we have the opportunity to choose. Am I going to think about the negative thing here? Am I going to think about the positive thing here? And so we have the opportunity to decide which one we're going to focus on. In, in this series that we've uh, started last week, we're um, looking at, the, it's called Valleys and, and Peaks. And we're looking at those events in our lives, the kind of up and down, roller coastery kind of things that happen. And, and we're looking at specific events in the lives of four biblical characters, individuals through whom God accomplished great things, right? Last week we talked about Elijah, and he goes up on the mountain to face the 450 prophets of the false god Baal, and, and he like prays to God and like utterly destroys them. Um, much like the cowboys are going to do to the chiefs next week. I just, it just it comes like, look, I'm just a vessel. It comes to me and then I have to share it. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. That's the last one. I, I promise I won't, I won't do that again. Um, so God does these incredible things through these people or, or we just look at their lives overall, right? And like the guy we're going to talk about today, Peter or Paul, just one of the greatest apostles. He's accomplished all of these great things and yet there are parts of their lives where, where we see those valleys and those difficult times and those struggles that, um, that they have and that, that we have. So our goal in this series is to learn from their struggles so that we can then do our best to look like Jesus every day. So we, we look at the struggles that Elijah's gone through, that Paul went through, and we go, okay, what, how does that help me today look more like Jesus in, in my life and do the things that he's called me um, to do? Now, the, the truth is, we all love the peaks, right? Like we all love it. everything's going great, life is super good. I, I honestly, can I just be a little transparent with you? Um, 
<laughs> I kid you not, a couple weeks ago, I was walking through the house and, and I was thinking, man, God, like, Siri is always listening. Uh, so, so I'm walking through the house and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, God, like life is just good. Like the kids all have these, these jobs that they, that they love, that they, they enjoy, and, and they're, they're doing well, you know, like they're paying their bills and they're able to do things. And, um, you know, all the cars are running and, man, I'm just happy with life. I just really felt like, like a peak time, right? Like, man, God, this, like, I just am feeling your blessings and your love. Like everything is just, is just good. And, um, and then like a week later, <laughs> Uh, last last weekend, uh, youngest son uh, calls and says, "Hey, um, I need you to come get me because uh, my truck is making this horrible noise, and I don't think I can drive it anymore." Uh, so I had to tow it to the shop, and it's been in the shop all all week long. Um, my truck is scheduled to go in the shop uh, on the seventeenth, and then when that gets out, uh, Andrea's car is going into the shop. Uh, and then, and then one of my kids, a job that they really liked is going to end this in, uh, in December. And so not sure what he's going to do, uh, beginning of next year. And, and so like, we like the peaks, right? Cause it's, it's good and it's fun. Like, oh, we feel like, oh, God's blessing me and life is just great. But, but we know like eventually a valley is going to come and, and then, and then that, uh, I'm sorry, mom, that, that valley just is going to suck. It's just not going to be good. It's not going to be fun. We're not going to like it. And so we all go through that. It's something we all experience. And, and so we're going through the series to go, okay, what did other people do when they went through difficult times and, and they struggled or times of where they felt like they were really blessed? And, and how did they, uh, how'd they get through that? So today, we're going to look at, at Paul and we're going to learn the secret to contentment. No matter what part of that valley peak journey you happen to be in, whether you're in the valley this morning and everything just kind of stinks, or you feel like you're up on the mountaintop. And it's going to take us kind of a little bit to get there because we've got a lot of stuff to, to go through. But, but here's what Paul wants followers of Jesus um, to understand today. Contentment is having confidence in Jesus whatever your circumstances. And so that's our bottom line today. If you get nothing else today, you know that this is kind of how we, we do things here at Real Life. If you get nothing else out of the message today, I want you to remember this. Take this home with you. Contentment in having confidence in Jesus, no matter what is going on around you in your life. You will never experience lasting contentment in your life whether, whether you have much, because we think that's where contentment lies, right? Everything's going well on the peak. Or whether you have little. You'll never experience lasting contentment if you're not confident in who God is. And, and, and really in your relationship to the God of the universe. And, and the Apostle Paul is like perfectly suited to give us advice on how to live like Jesus, how to be content in life, whether you're on the, the peak or whether you're in the valley. See, before um, the Apostle Paul met Jesus, his name was Saul. And um, Saul was an up-and-comer. 
in Jewish religious circles. He was slated to be probably one of the Sanhedrin. He was probably going to be on the Jewish ruling council. And that came with a lot of perks. So Saul, at the time, his name was Saul, he was gaining power and influence within that group of people within the temple and the religious leaders. Um, and, and with that influence and, and power came position among his peers. He was a young guy, but he was um, uh, like head over everybody else, right? It's really getting a name for himself. And then that also came with, with money because that part of what was going on at times was an exchange of a lot of money and the priests were really doing well. And so Saul kind of had everything going for him. Um, and Saul did not like Jesus or Jesus' followers. So Saul actually got permission from the religious leaders in Jerusalem to travel to other Jewish uh, cities and areas and root out any Christians, believers in Jesus that might live there, haul them back to Jerusalem where they would stand trial uh, for the uh, religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, and many of them, women and, and children and men would, would be put to death because they believed that Jesus was God's promised king. And so this is what he was doing on his way to do when he, when he had an encounter with Jesus. Maybe you know that story from Acts as, as Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and his name is changed to Paul. And so after Paul's conversion to Jesus. So he becomes a believer in Jesus. He recognizes him. He begins to follow him. His name is changed to Paul, and then he is rejected by the religious leaders. So this group of people that he was gaining power and, and influence and, and, and money and position from, they reject him because now he's a traitor. He's working for the other side. And he wants to go talk to Christians and tell people about Jesus. And the Christian community rejects Paul because they're like, you're just pretending, then you're going to find out who we are, and then you're going to kill us. Like, they knew uh, what was up, at least they, they thought they did. And so in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul actually, like, lays a whole bunch of information out about his life as a follower of, of Jesus. And, and in this section, um, I just want to make sure you understand kind of his heart in, in, the, in the moment in sharing this. In this section of 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and the, the church in Corinth has been infiltrated by some false teachers, and they have been saying negative things about Paul. Paul really isn't a, a follower of Jesus. He's doing it wrong. And, and, and what had happened is they had, they had decided that if they make Paul look bad, it made them look better, and they got more money, more power, more position. And so they were, they were trying to downplay. That probably these guys were the folks we mentioned at the very beginning. Negative all the time. Anytime you bring it up, everything's always negative. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's kind of defending himself against these false teachers who were accusing him of looking out for his, uh, for his own interests instead of the interests of God. So in, in that scenario, here's what Paul says uh, to the church. He says, are these um, false uh, teachers, are these other people stirring up trouble, are they servants of, of Jesus? And he says, well, look, I'm, I'm, this is a foolish talk. I really shouldn't be having this conversation, but I'm going to anyway. He says, I serve Jesus better than they do. 
I have worked harder than they have. I've been put in jail more times. I've been beaten with whips more and have been in danger of death more often than than they have. Five times my own people, Jewish people, gave me 39 lashes with with a whip. Uh, Okay, Jewish mindset, 40 lashes might kill you, so they'd go one less to not be in danger of going overboard. So that's why they say that. He says, three times the Romans beat me with a, with a big stick. Uh, you, you remember that American kid uh, in uh, an Asian country a few years back that got caned? Okay, similar situation. Uh, Once my enemies stoned me, he was left for dead at that point. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. I even had to spend a night and a day in the open sea. During my many travels, I have been in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, and from foreigners. Basically, everywhere I go and everything I do, I'm in danger. My life has been in danger in cities, in deserts, at sea, and with people who only pretended to be the Lord's followers, probably talking about the guys that he started out with. He says, I have worked and struggled and spent many sleepless nights. I've gone hungry and thirsty and have often had nothing to eat. I have been cold from not having enough clothes to keep me warm. Now, I didn't put this in my notes, but um, this is the passage of scripture that we want to stay away from. If you believe that when you come to Jesus, he makes everything rainbows and unicorns in your life. Right, Because there's that idea that if I come to Jesus, I give to Jesus, he's going to make my dreams come true, and I'm going to have more money, and I'm going to have a better job, and I'm going to have all this stuff. If I just give my life to Jesus, he's going to take everything. He wants the best for you, and so why wouldn't he give me the best? L- let me just tell you, in case you were wondering, none of you nor I will ever measure up to Paul in his faithfulness to God and, and his um, ability in the Holy Spirit. None of us will ever measure up to Paul. And this is what he got. Like, good job, Paul. Way to go. Pat on the back. Uh, Why don't you get shipwrecked and left for dead and beat and stoned, all these kind of things. So I I share this passage because we need to understand that when Paul mentions what he's going to talk about in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today, Paul is speaking from experience. He's not this guy that's just going, look, this is how you should live, but I haven't experienced it myself. Like This guy has been in the valley, the deepest valley, spiritually and physically and mentally and relationally. Paul has been through it. He's faced everything that you can imagine. He's basically an expert on how to get through difficult times with your faith still intact. And actually, there's a whole lot more than just what we read in in 2 Corinthians. So uh, Paul has this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, His name is changed to to Paul, and he tries to preach, and nobody wants to listen to him because the Jews are trying to kill him, and the Christians think Paul is trying to kill them, and so nobody wants to spend any time with them. Paul actually goes out into the wilderness, and he's, he's gone for a while. Um, and, and many people speculate that it's there that Jesus actually taught Paul everything he needed to know. And then when he came out of the wilderness, and we talk about Jesus' wilderness uh, time, 40 days, and everybody has wilderness times. 
Paul comes back and he begins to preach. And he goes out on his first missionary journey and he begins to plant churches in the cities that he stops in. And he comes back to Jerusalem, kind of home base, and he regroups. He tells the disciples what's going on, what's happening. And then he goes back out on his second uh, missionary journey. Um, So this would be early 50s, uh, not 1950s. Uh, but 50 AD, right? So we're talking 20 years or so after the resurrection of, of Jesus. And on that second missionary journey that Paul took, most of his time was spent encouraging the churches that he planted on the first missionary journey and then planting new churches as, as God led him. And, and so there's this incredible story in Acts where Paul is trying to get into uh, this one area and he just feels like God just keeps shutting the door and then, he, and then he feels like God's calling him to Macedonia. It's a Macedonian call. And, and, he, and he ends up going that direction. And the first place he stops, really, is a town called Philippi. And he begins to tell people about Jesus. And the first convert in Philippi is a woman named Lydia. She was a wealthy woman, a seller of, of purple. And the church that Paul started in that town started by meeting in her home. So Paul wraps up the second missionary journey in the mid-50s uh, AD, and he goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, he does a third, or excuse me, does a third missionary journey in the mid-50s. Then he goes back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem he's arrested, falsely accused, and he appeals to Caesar, and so Roman guards are going to take him all the way uh, back to Rome. When he gets to Rome, uh, after lots of perils and shipwreck and the Jews trying to still kill him and all of this, a fascinating story. He gets to Rome and he's under house uh, arrest there. And he writes a letter to the church in Philippi because uh, after a long time, they have sent him some money to help meet his needs. And so it's near the end of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi that he talks about how to get through the valleys and the peaks that we face. So let's look at that. He starts out, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me. By the way, Philippians 4, 10 to 14 is where we're at. I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know that you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present um, difficulty. Now, being in jail in the first century was not like being in jail today. Now, I have no desire to go to jail uh, I don't want to be there. I don't want to experience that. I was telling a discipleship group last night. Uh, I spent uh, about 30 seconds in solitary confinement in Alcatraz when I was in high school. I uh, went there in a class trip. And, um, and that was like when they shut the door behind you, that is a freaky place to be, I'm telling you. So I have no desire uh, to, to go there. And, uh, you know, sometimes we go, oh, you get three... Uh, three squares, you know, and you get a cot and whatever, and you get TV time. And I, like, having somebody else control your life, it's just not fun, and you don't want to experience that. But the judicial system in the first century was not like it is today. For Paul and anybody else who got put in a Roman jail, you were not provided for. 
They did not bring you food, water. Uh, they did not care for your medical needs. You got nothing. You got put in a cell and forgotten about. And if you didn't have friends or family on the outside who brought you food, like daily brought you food and took care of your medical needs and whatever, you just died. And the Romans were like, hey, one less person we got to worry about. And they just toss you out and put somebody else in your, in your place, okay? Not a fun place to be. So Paul is under house arrest in, in Rome. And he's afforded this, this is a whole big story to it, but he's afforded this opportunity to be in his own rented home. Of course, he had to pay for it and didn't really uh, work, right? Because he's under guard. Um, and, and so those needs have to be met. People have to bring him money, have to bring him food. They have to provide for him while he's there. And so the church in Philippi sends money to help pay for his needs while he is incarcerated. He could kind of have people come and go, but he wasn't free to do whatever he wanted. And so all of these financial needs had to be met by somebody outside or Paul wouldn't survive. It's interesting to me that as a time when Paul was completely reliant on other people to survive, on the generosity of other people to survive and to meet his needs, he, he says this, he says, not that I was ever in need. Now, we just went through the list in 2 Corinthians. We know that there were times in Paul's life where he was in need. So he, but he says, I, I, I'm not ever in need. Not because he had plenty of food or plenty of clothing, water, medical care, whatever. We've already, like he didn't have those things. He says, I was never really in need because despite his circumstances, Paul had learned to be content with whatever he happened to have at the moment. Now, I, I don't know about you, but contentment is something that I actually struggle with, if you ask my wife or my children. Um, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> there's a new watch coming out. <laughs> uh, I better upgrade. <laughs> Got to find something wrong with this one and bang it against the wall a few more times. Uh, so uh, it's like, oh, it's new, new phone is, is coming out. Oh, look, they got the 85-inch TVs that have dropped in price a little bit. Hey, honey. So I, like with technology stuff, I just like that. I, I like having it uh, around. And so I'm just not very content uh, as often as I would would like to be it. Like, I'd like to have uh, that. And, and I know that none of those things... Uh, like I, I have that thought and I have to remind myself, none of these things will bring me any closer to, to Jesus. They won't my, make my life any better. I won't enjoy my life anymore. They really add nothing to my life except for maybe a payment uh, or 12. Um, and so uh, like I don't really need those things, but, but you know, maybe you've had something, uh, maybe for you it's, it's, it's different. Uh, maybe it's a beanie baby for you. Uh, I don't know, the ant that used to collect those things. I always had to have more beanie babies. We all struggle in some way with the contentment issue. I, I just, oh man, if I just had this, if I had that, life would just be um, better. So Paul is not saying that you shouldn't work hard, that you shouldn't have nice things, that you should just be okay with whatever you have and not try to get any better, make life any better for you. He's saying that being content has nothing to do with your circumstances. Being content has nothing to do with your collection of 
of things. That, that finding contentment in life really doesn't happen without, with external forces and external things. Look, look what he says. Um, he says next, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing and also with everything. I've learned this secret of living in every situation, whether full or empty, plenty or, or little. And we've already seen some of the valleys that Paul um, faced. So again, he speaks with some authority on this subject. He says that he knows how to live on almost nothing. And the only way to know how to do that is to have done it, right? Do you remember maybe being in um, college uh, and maybe out on your own and having to live on very little? Uh, I made a stupid decision when I was in college, and I was very far away. So I'm from Oregon, and I went to college in Joplin, Missouri. And after my first year there, I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go back home because that took me farther away from Andrea. Uh, I was going to stay in the Midwest near her. And so, uh, like a complete idiot, I got in an apartment. Because I had a job and I thought, oh man, this is going to be great. This apartment, I'm going to make a lot of money. This is all going to be fabulous. Uh, and for very, very many months until I was able to um, cry my way out of the lease, uh, I, I, I literally had a, a tub of the cheapest, um, this, this, was, this was like, it wasn't, I can't believe it's not butter. It was, I can't believe this is edible. Uh, and... Uh, and I had a loaf of the cheapest bread that I could find, and um, I didn't even buy craft slices. I, I bought like whatever, I bought bottom shelf cheese. Uh, and, and I literally had grilled cheese sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for weeks and weeks and weeks, because I had nothing. You, you can't talk about not having nothing and how to get through that unless you've had nothing. You know, sometimes you listen to, to what we might call rich people telling poor people how to stretch a dollar. <laughs> you, you have no clue. You never had to stretch a dollar in your life. How do, you, how do you know? So Paul speaks here from experience. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything because I've been in both of those situations before. And because he's experienced both the very low valleys and the very tall peaks, he has uncovered a secret to living for Jesus no matter which side of that situation you're on, full or empty, much or little. Now, it seems to me that in Paul's mind, having too much and having too little are both spiritually dangerous places to be. Like he mentions it s several times here. That there's these two opposites. And I think he's, he's got, um, it's like, look, if you have too much, that's a dangerous spiritual place to be. And if you have too little, that's a dangerous spiritual place to be. <laughs> Thank you. Because with too much, you may become conceited and decide you don't need God, right? I've got, I've got everything I need. What do I need? God for. And so we just kind of go about our days and the life and everything is great. But on the flip side of that, with too little, you may become skeptical and have difficulty trusting God. And so if you're in a valley in your life right now, you, you may feel like, where is God? 
Why haven't you showed up? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you getting me out of this situation? I thought if I just gave my life to you that you'd pluck me out, you'd put me up on that peak and everything would be great. But if you're on that peak, you, you may be in that place. You're like, when was the last time I prayed and asked God for, to help me with it? Like, why, what do I need? I got everything I need. So Paul says that he's learned this secret that has kept him from being conceited in those, those times when he had plenty. And it also has kept him from being crushed spiritually in those times when he's been poor. So I came across this passage in Proverbs chapter 30. There's a man named, I don't know how to pronounce it, Agur, something like that. And he's having a conversation, kind of speaking out loud with this guy named Ithiel. And he's talking about life and, and some of it's pretty insightful. Here's what he has to say. He says, oh God, I beg you for two favors. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. This is a pretty good one. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I go rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or why do I need God? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Now, Paul would have known this song. He would have have understood, he would have remembered it. And I think Paul had the words of this guy in mind when he writes to the church in in Philippi. And I think both Paul and Agur were speaking of the same thing. They're saying, live in the middle. Find the middle ground. Not too much and, and not too little. And so he shares this secret of life about how to get through the valleys and the peaks. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, how do we use that verse today? You've probably seen it, social media posts or on Pinterest or uh, one of those things. Jonathan Merritt uh, wrote an article for Religion News Service and, and he said this, Philippians 4.13 functions as a kind of mystical incantation for many Christians. They recite the passage when they need to draw power from another place to defeat an enemy or conquer a difficult task. They use it like a talisman, like Green Lantern's ring or He-Man's sword. Those are good old references uh, if you get that. But you've maybe been in that place. Oh, I got to get up and I got to, you know, the house got to be clean. The dishes got to be done, the laundry. Oh, I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Or you got a test to take and you didn't study for it the night before. You're like, well, I'm going to go in there and do my best because I can do all things through Christ who gives me, gives me strength. I got to go to work today and I don't want to go. And I'm going to go, okay, God, give me strength to get through this. And basically what happens is that 99.5% of the time, we use this passage completely inappropriately. It has nothing to do with us accomplishing a difficult task or my team beating your team. I can do all things through Christ who, who gives me strength. It's not about um, beating your personal best lift at the gym. God's not interested in giving you strength for that. It's not what, what Paul is, is talking about. What he is talking about is living like Jesus through the valleys and the peaks. And in Paul's mind, we need just as much help when things are good as when things are bad. And so this passage is about being confident in God 
no matter what your circumstances. Consider Jesus' prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say, God, um, make sure that I got a paycheck coming every, every two weeks and my fridge is full and the tank is full and life is good and, you know, I, I, keep, I keep my 20-something body. He doesn't say any of that. G- give me today what I need for today. And it's a really difficult concept for us because in the first century, um, they didn't have refrigerators. Uh, they didn't have houses like we have today. They didn't, like, it was a completely different mindset. And, and most of the people in, in Paul's life probably only ate one meal a day. And um, they didn't necessarily, like, it was a gamble a little bit whether I was going to eat tomorrow or not. Managing the valleys and the peaks in our lives means that when our circumstances are less than ideal, we have confidence that God sees us, that God hears our our prayers, that he knows our situation. And and, and so we go, God, I I have confidence that you're there and you're watching out for me. And so I'm just going to keep moving ahead, knowing that that you're paying attention and you're going to see me through this. And, And it also helps us um, have confidence that when things are going good and everything is going right we, we remember that ah, I can't save myself no matter how much money I have in the bank or how well life is going I can't get to heaven on my own and so I need God and I can't let that go and, and, and so today Are you maybe feeling a little bit conceited because of what you have, what you've accomplished, what you're able to do? Or are you feeling crushed? Like God doesn't care because of the things that you lack. Do do you determine if your day was good or bad based on the circumstances in the moment of that day? Or, Or are you confident in God, regardless of what happened. If how we feel on a day-to-day basis is, is based on my opinion, on our opinion of our circumstances, then we will never be content. You'll never be content if, if, you're, if your opinion of your circumstances is based on what's happened to you. You'll never be content. But we can learn to be confident in God, regardless of what's going on in our lives, when we learn the secret of living like Jesus in every situation. In every situation of Jesus' life, whether things were going good or they were going bad, he had confidence in God, that God saw him, that God heard him, that God was involved in in what was going on. And so Jesus was able to move through the seasons of his life trusting God's got this. And so Jesus comes to the end of his life and, and what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And that has to be the position of our lives. If we're gonna make it over the peaks and through the valleys, we have to have the same mindset as, as 
as Jesus. God, not my will, but your will be done. Each of us are going to go through valleys and and peaks spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. It's how we navigate those ups and downs with confidence in God's provision and his protection, regardless of our present situation. And that will determine our ability to be content. Let me leave you with this. You can learn to be content if your confidence is in Jesus, but you will never find contentment based on your circumstances. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being aware of what's going on in our lives, whether things are good or, or we perceive that they're not so good. Help us to have confidence that you always see, that you always hear, that you always know what's going on. And may we, like Paul and and like Jesus, say, not my will, but your will be done, God. And and so we work and we strive and we try to better our lives. Uh, A better life allows us to do more good in life. So it's not that you're opposed to that. But you want us to be content in whatever situation to go, God, you have me here right now for some reason. Help me live for you regardless of what's going on around me. God, help us to have that kind of confidence and to be content in you so that we can weather the valleys and the peaks. And and essentially what happens is that we, we smooth those valleys. We bring up the valleys and we kind of lower the peaks Just our confidence, like every day we just go through, we're just confident in you and help us to experience that, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, next week we are going to wrap up, or not wrap up, we're going to be in week three and we're going to be looking at the life of Daniel and some um, experiences that he had. Talk about managing peaks and valleys, so I hope you can join me. Uh, back next week as well. All right. Love you guys. Have a great week. tuning into Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.